let's say that these babies that you're saving, you had some sort of program for them to succeed in life. But no, like there's not, there hasn't been a change in the foster system or how these kids are brought up, like the curriculum in schools that they're being taught, like all of this goes into effect. So if you really want to save a life, save a life from the beginning to the end. Welcome to the Audacious Founder Podcast. This is a podcast for entrepreneurial women. It's going to help you build confidence, obliterate mental blocks, gain knowledge, and harness the audacity to start your business, grow your business, or just start living your life with a whole lot more fucking audacity than you have been. My name's Melissa Manning. I've founded and co-founded more than 13 businesses in 10 years, and I've got more than 45,000 hours of business operating experience that I want to share with you. And I am here to A, learn more because we're never effing done, and B, get you to a new level. I'm audacious, so let's get into it. Hi guys, welcome to the Audacious Founder Podcast. I'm Melissa Manning, your Audacity Coach and host. Today, I wanted to bring on a new friend named Leslie, who I met at an event recently, and we just got to talking. I found out that she is a pediatric ICU nurse, and so we just started talking about abortion and the fact that Roe v. Wade has just been reversed. Um, And I thought that it was just very interesting to get the perspective of somebody who is dealing with babies in an extra vulnerable space or condition. You know, maybe they were born premature. For whatever reason, they're ending up in the ICU. So I just really wanted to go a little bit deeper with her in terms of, you know, what is she seeing? How does abortion affect maybe the mothers who are coming in, the mothers who are having these babies that maybe these babies are so unhealthy that the nicer, more generous choice might have been to not take them full term or not have them to begin with. Some of these babies are the product of, you know, drug abuse and they're being born going through withdrawal already or they're being born with, you know, brain damage or any number of conditions. And so I just, I know that it's a very sensitive topic for a lot of people. Um, I myself have never actually experienced an abortion thank god and i believe leslie hasn't either i asked her at one point in the episode it's an interesting perspective for somebody who is on the front lines of basically receiving these very vulnerable babies and who pro-lifers are you know fighting to give them life when maybe that wasn't the best option for them Um, so listen in you may not like it You may like it, I don't know, but feel free to drop me a line, let me know if this triggers you, you know, I apologize. Also send me a line, let me know how this affected you. I'm I'm very interested in hearing. I wanna hear all the opinions. Let's get into it. So hello, my name is Leslie. Um, I am a pediatric ICU nurse. I've been a nurse for a little over two years now. Um, I started in the field doing telehealth, um, patient care navigation, and then I transitioned over to bedside into an ICU setting at my local children's hospital. Yeah, a little bit about me. (laughs) I've always had a passion for helping people. Um, Specifically, the reason I became a nurse is because I was born 
at 26 weeks, um, fairly early, you know, full term considered 40 weeks. Yeah. Um, Almost half. Yeah. So I was in, in, in the NICU, the neonatal ICU for about two and a half months of my life. Um, you know, surviving, trying to survive and grow. Um, So when my mom told me about, you know, my whole birth story, I always just made it a mission to become a nurse because without them, I would not be where I am today, you know, a nurse and the whole medical team. So I just feel like it's my way of giving back um, because I wouldn't be here without the amazing medical team that, you know, brought me here. So do you know why that you were so premature? Yes. So my mom, um, he, it's a medical term considered, it's called oligohydramios. And that's when you have very low amniotic fluid. Okay. Um, Amniotic fluid is what we, is what the embryo needs to survive. Yeah. Um, so she was, I, I guess I was drinking it all and I basically drowning in it and I went into respiratory distress. So I was, I, I couldn't breathe. I wasn't I was basically not. You were like suffocating. Yeah, I was suffocating in my mom's womb. So they had, she went into um, emergency C-section. They had to take me out. Um, And right when they took me out, they had to put a tube down my throat. I got intubated because I couldn't breathe on my own. My lungs were not fully developed. Mm. Um, And she told me, she was like, you were like super transparent. Like you didn't look. Oh, I, I wasn't, you know, I was, I was this little thing. Um, they had to put me in like a plastic bag in order to conserve my body temperature because wow. I couldn't regulate my own body temperature. And it's funny because a lot of the babies that I see when they're born really early, they can't regulate their own body temperature. So we have to do it for them in an outside environment. I don't know if you've ever been into an, a NICU, like we have the huge incubators. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, those are to preserve the baby's temperature because if not, they wouldn't be able to survive outside of the womb. Yeah. So basically like we try to mimic the same environment that they would be in otherwise. Yeah. Whoa. Um, do you know what causes whatever the name of that was, the low mm-hmm. amniotic fluid? It could be a lot of causes. I don't know specifically like what, happened with my mom because she was fairly healthy you know non-drinker non-smoker active lifestyle not not like the best diet but not a horrible diet either um but things things like this just happen sometimes and it's crazy because you could be a perfectly healthy human being and go into preterm labor or just something happens and it's a it's a life-threatening emergency so some I factors are like drug abuse and um, yeah. smoking and, and things like that. Well, that's like more obvious, right? That's like, yeah. okay. Um, but that actually happened to me. They didn't, they never told me that. I, I don't know what the name was. It was super long and sounded weird. Um, they never told me that that's what it was, but when I was pregnant, I was almost there. And then they brought me in because, well, I had a checkup and then they told me that my amniotic fluid was low, but it was probably just fine. I could go home, just drink a bunch of water and, and be fine. But then my doctor, the nurse called my doctor and the doctor was like, no, bring her in. We're going to induce. Okay. And so I went in and they induced, obviously nothing happened because my body wasn't ready to go. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up having a C-section. Oh man. And 
Your daughter was okay though, right? Like she was, she was fine. They said at the end that the cord was wrapped around her neck, but I almost don't believe them. Like, I mean, okay. Why would they lie? Right. But, but I just felt manipulated. Oh my God. I felt really manipulated. Like I, I am somebody I've always been athletic. I've always played sports. I choice. They, well, they told me that her heart rate was going up and that, you know, we just had to have a C-section. And also when you're in that moment, you're so easily manipulated because like, you don't know, and you don't want to be responsible for anything happening to the baby. And you're also so excited to see this little creature that you're like, okay, just like, whatever, just get it over with, like, like get her out. Yeah. Um, but like the C-section is traumatic and anybody who like recovery is horrible. No, during, during, (laughs) I felt like an, I was on an alien spaceship. I had all these like creatures hovering over me. I couldn't see what was going on. My body was being yanked and pulled. I vomited. Yeah. And you're like awake for the whole thing. I mean, they do anesthesia, but yeah. And I couldn't hold her. I barely could see her because I was throwing up because they had pressed on my oh stomach my so hard that I couldn't even really see her. And then they didn't let me hold her for three hours. Yeah. I didn't see her for three hours after she was born because I was on whatever drugs, Yeah. You know, which I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like bring her <laughs> like, at least put her on your chest when she first came out. I was, I-, I was puking. Oh my God. I was pu- and I'm laying on my back. It was, it was horrific. And so afterwards I just felt like, I felt like they had manipulated it because I felt like my body could have done it. Yeah. But like, they were trying to make like, yeah. Uh, Anyway. So regardless, like I'll never know if it was totally for real or if they just wanted the money for the C-section, you know, Um, a lot of cases where women feel like they were tricked or not tricked, but like manipulated into having a C-section just because it's more convenient for the physician. Yeah. Just, and you know, it's, it's, it is easier for them, but it's not easier for the women. Like I've seen in my line of work, like I've seen obviously with a preterm baby. Yes. And there are cases that it warrants a C-section because they cannot push a baby that, that totally, and they have to have a C-section, but the the pain that these mothers are going through, like while their child, their child is in the ICU, you know, fighting for their life to survive, they're also in pain. And like they, you know, I've seen them like hunching over to walk, like they 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 can barely walk. They have to pump to make their milk. And it's like, they have to go to the hospital to be with their child, but they're still on the pain meds from the surgery. They're still, you know, they have to clean their wound and there's nothing that we can do for them because we're not, the labor and delivery nurse. We, we're only here to serve the child, you know, right. and it's really hard for to see them going through that by themselves. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. I mean, that's not why I wanted you to come on here to like tell, but, but yeah. So, um, okay. So that's really interesting. I like hearing how people decided to do what they do, you know, like what was that trigger that caused you to be like, okay, this is my mission. This is my purpose. So that's, that's really cool. Thank you. <laughs> How long have you been working with babies now? Um, it's been a year now in July. Okay. I started in July. Yeah. So it's pretty new. 
Yeah, definitely. I feel like I, but I've seen so much and I still have, I still feel like I've, I've yet to just see so much more and like learn so much more. And they always say like nursing is a never ending learning experience throughout your career. Yeah. So, and even in the year that I've been in this setting, like, I feel like I've never seen anything like this before. Like, you know, shout out to nurses that have been in the field for 20 plus years or more. They're so strong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it something where you feel like, okay, I can really see how people burn out quick from this? Oh my God. I know this, this, um, podcast is about abortion, but yeah, nurse burnout is real, especially it's been, I've been in the field for a year and I feel like I'm burnt out. So I can definitely understand why these nurses, you know, so many nurses are leaving the bedside. It's really freaking hard. Um, and the staffing shortage is not helping, you know, the, the current situation of this country is not helping. There's just so much burden. Um, and a lack of empathy, I feel like sometimes. And that's why like, I just feel like you should always just be kind. The, the first thing you should do is be kind and be empathetic to people's situation. Yeah. Kind of get into the whole abortion conversation, like the most you can just do is just to understand where people are coming from, understand their perspective instead of trying to fight it. Um, and I think that goes a long way with the whole nurse burnout situation and, and where we are in the world being kind is probably the most important thing we can do right now. I very much agree that it's like, we never know what other people are going through. And it's like, instead of just assuming that they have bad intentions or that they're actively trying to hurt you or make your life difficult. It's like for a minute, can we just assume that they are just trying to make their life a little easier somehow that they're suffering in some way that we don't know. Um, it is hard. It's hard. I think you have to be a very self-aware, almost enlightened person to be able to do that. Uh, you know, maybe once in a while you're able to do it, but like to do it all the time, that's a feat. But yeah, I think that should be all of our goals. Um, and yes, the reason that I wanted to bring you on here was because I did want to talk about abortion. I have been talking a lot about it just because of what's happened recently with Roe v. Wade. But I myself have never had one. I know people who have had one. Um, so I'm coming from a very specific perspective, you know, the perspective of a, a white woman um, who has always been like, I've had enough money to do what I need to do to take care of myself. Um, I have people that I can ask if, and I've always had enough sort of, I guess, confidence and self-worth to know that if this happens to me, I can ask for help. I can talk to people. It doesn't mean that I'm like this horrible, you know, terrible person. It's, it's just a mistake. It's no, just an accident. The reality of it, you know, and, and it's yeah. not against you, but that is a privilege in and of itself. Yes. There's yes. so many women out here that do not have the resources, do not have the support system. They're here basically alone and they are faced with these situations and they don't have the choice, unfortunately. And to now be have like to now be taking that choice away from them on top of that, it's just like demeaning. Like, I don't know, for a lack of better words, like I I've never had an abortion either. And I've had the privilege of never having to be in that situation. Like I'm by myself. I don't have money. I, I don't have the resources. I don't have the knowledge. 
because I'm sure you also are educated enough to know your options. Yeah. So, you know, what can you do at this very moment if you are ever in a situation like that? But if you are placed in a situation where you know that you cannot take care of a child right now in your life, financially, emotionally, just, I'm getting goosebumps talking about this. <laughs> I'm very like, I'm passionate. so um, passionate about this. Like, I wish I was more educated about the whole abortion scope because it's not my scope. I'm more on the children's side, but yeah. I just know that I've, even when this was first coming out in conversation, I was just appalled at people against that because it's like why wouldn't you want the interest of a woman first of all her safety and her well-being before anything else yeah and then it's also we we invalidate how not having a child helps the child sometimes because if you're talking about somebody who gets pregnant and they don't have the current circumstances to take care of a child I mean fine, maybe they can be adopted and maybe they can have a spectacular life, but you're also then not accounting for the trauma that comes with being adopted. And that's that's very hopeful because that is, I I don't know the statistic, but I feel like it's one in a million to be able to be adopted into a loving and caring home and not ending up in like a result. What makes you say that? I don't know what the stats are either. And actually now I'm going to look it up. <laughs> yeah. But. Um I just well, I've seen a lot at, in my line of work children that come into the ICU or even in the hospital period and they are products of the system. You know, they we're a public hospital. We have to care for them no matter what. They come in with no insurance. If they get sick, the foster home does bring them in and you know, we the, the hospital eats that cost. Not that I care about the money or anything like that, but but it's, it's basically that they don't have, their family doesn't have the resources exactly. to pay for it. So the system is paying family, you know, they're in foster care. Exactly. Um, they don't have any support system with them at the length of their stay. So imagine like a kid is sick and the even as adults, the one thing that you want when you're sick is to be around people that you love. So imagine like a, a child that is sick in the ICU and nobody There's ever nobody there. them. Stop. Yeah. I can't. The only, the only, the only social interaction they have, if they can even talk, is with the nurse. Um, and you know, whenever I'm in, I'm at work, it's such a, it's a, it's such a fulfilling feeling, even though I'm burnt out already. Um, after my shift, I always reflect on how my shift was, and I'm like, you know, I feel good that I was able to help this child's life today. Um, for the kids that I am able to socialize with, they're freaking angels. And and don't get me wrong, most of them are with their family, but sometimes they're by themselves. And it's really sad to see that. Yeah. You know, I try my best to, to be really playful with them to just have, give them 10 minutes of my day, because that goes a long way. If they're by them, if I see they're by themselves, and their parents aren't here, or if they have no parents, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Shit, that made me really sad. <laughs> it, is, it is very... Um, guys we're talking about some sensitive things here so i really just wanted to google some stats and have a little bit more information behind the things that we're talking about so um again i am just going on some websites and looking for this information i suggest that you do the same one of the websites i was looking at is adoptionnetwork.com 
It's talking about adoption myths and facts, domestic U.S. statistics. The other website is Children's Home Society of Minnesota. That is chlss.org. The first website referenced 2014-2015 numbers, so I'm assuming that the numbers that I have written down are anywhere between like probably 2019 and 2015. And then this other website was written in, or this article was written in 2019. So here are the stats. 62% of babies were adopted within a month of birth. So that means 40% were not adopted right after birth. So that means 40% of babies who are put up for adoption are not being adopted immediately. They're just being put into the system. The average child waits to be adopted for more than three years. The average age of a child who's waiting to be adopted is eight which really makes me sad because I have a nine-year-old. And so even just thinking about that for a second is already making me tear up. So on any given day, there are nearly 428,000 kids in foster care in the United States. Foster care costs the government $4.3 billion a year, I'm assuming. It didn't specify, but I, I think that that's a, a yearly number which is about $6,675 per child. And I just double-checked that number, so I'm looking at a website called cwla.org. Um, this is the President's Fiscal Year 2021 Budget Request. And so for the year 2021, the administration projects that Title IV-E foster care maintenance and administrative costs will be at $5.796 billion, a projected increase from the projected updated cost of $5.569 billion in 2020. So um, the six point, what did I say? The $4.3 billion. Oh, yeah. So that was a lower number. 4.3 billion was what I first quoted and apparently for 2021 it was 5.796 billion bucks for the year. It's quite a number. In Texas alone there is 5 to 6,000 children waiting to be adopted. In 2020, 22,000 babies were abandoned in hospitals in the United States. 22,000. I feel like I need to keep repeating the numbers because they're just so huge that my brain isn't really registering them. 23,000 kids age out of the adoption system each year. So that means 23,000 kids are going through the system and not finding a family. It might be a little difficult to really internalize these stats because we don't have context, right? Maybe being in the system, you these kids are creating a family with the other kids, right? Or maybe the staff who works, or maybe their foster families are great and, and they're basically having those families for the rest of their lives. I don't know. So I, I think, you know, it's definitely important for us to learn more about it so that we have a more well-rounded perspective when it comes to the things that we believe in and the things that we vote for. I think it's interesting that a lot of the pro-lifers are conservative you know they're very religious conservative and so you would think that they might care about money but apparently that 5.7 billion dollars per year doesn't really matter to them and they're like hey yeah let's let's number one let's add on to that and they also they're not thinking about the quality of life that these people are having like a lot of them I I'm assuming here 
I, I could be totally wrong. And if I'm wrong, you know, please send me emails or messages and let me know because I, I do want to learn more about this and so many other things. So when I'm wrong, please let me know. But I imagine that there's a lot of psychological things that go along with the feeling of abandonment or, you know, watching your almost like siblings, you know, watching the kids next to you get adopted and you're not. Like that does something to a person that messes with your mind. I was watching a documentary actually about travel the other day and they were showing how in these other countries they're basically it's called volunteerism volunteer and tourism put together so people from you know the united states or from first world countries are going to these third world countries and you know volunteering at adoption agencies or whatever you call them and thinking that they're doing well thinking that they're doing something good and they're giving back but ultimately they are you know perpetuating this problem where these kids are continuously being abandoned or they are too quickly you know making these close relationships with the hope of being adopted or or finding a family and then that gets torn away from them it's it's pretty bad um it's a documentary i'll put it in the show notes so that you can watch it but the people that were volunteering there they started to notice how how the kids were acting were symptoms of this repeated trauma and so i think it's just important for us to learn more about it but to 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 come back to the conversation about the whole foster care system like yeah um how you said for them to end up in a loving home in a loving environment i think that is far-fetched um so in that situation yes i understand the argument like oh you know we want to provide a life for this child okay but what life are you providing for them really yeah in in reality like because i feel like a lot of these opinions are just idealistic you know they're thinking okay yeah we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna save a bunch of babies lives and then it stops there do with these babies there's a formula shortage one they can't eat (laughs) inflation Uh, inflation nobody can pay for shit the status of this country right now there's shortages everywhere yeah quality of life is fucking horrible yeah um and and not to say you know I'm, i'm eternally grateful for where i'm at in life i i worked hard to get where i'm at i've never had to struggle well that's a lie i come from an immigrant family my mom struggled so i could be comfortable Okay. But where is your mom from? Where so I was born in Dominican Republic. Okay. That's where where that's where I'm from and where my family is from. Um, you told me that the other day and I, I couldn't remember what you had said, so I just wanted to That's fine. Up. Yeah, I was born there. Um we came here. I was five years old. My sister, she's six years old older than me. Um, but yeah, we we came here um fairly early on and you know, my mom at the time she was living with my dad. We, they were, you know, we were a family unit, but eventually they did get a divorce and we came down here to Florida from New York, um, for about, Oh, sorry. We stayed in New York for like two, two years. And then we came down here. She was by herself. She had her sister here. So that was our only, you know, support system. Yeah. So we stayed with her for a few years just so that my mom could get up on her feet on her own she got a job and she maintained me and my sister on her own 
And, you know, at that time it was easier. Like the, the cost of living was nowhere near where the cost of living is now. But even then, yeah. like where I'm at right now, I can't financially support a child. And I have a partner that also has a salary. Yeah. But like the thought of that is crazy right now. So I don't know how she did it by herself. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I am divorced. I have a nine-year-old and um, her dad, he's a great dad. I don't pay for a lot of her mm. extracurriculars. Really, I don't pay for any of them. But I think about that. If he wasn't here, I would have to pay for this tennis camp. I would have to pay for these tennis lessons. I would have to pay for this tutoring. I would have to pay for all of these school uniforms. I would have to pay for, you know, like all of these things. We never had any of that growing up. Never. Like we. That's, but that's the difference, right? (laughs) Yes. Like that's the privilege, right? Because then you don't have access to all of these other things. You, you don't get to hone these skills that help you get into college or help you get scholarships. Networking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's important because we, what my mom instilled in us, you know, she told us from the very beginning, I can't afford any of this, but I do want you to get an education and and make the most of it because it's something that I can provide to you. Mm -hmm. And she always made sure to put food on our table because that's, that was the most that she could do for us, food on the table and give us a good education. Mm -hmm. So, you know, me and my sister took full advantage and I was always the straight A student growing up. I never deviated from that because I knew the worth. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, and she knew that I wanted to be a nurse and I always, you know, was striving for that early. I, thankfully I, I knew what I wanted to do with my life very early on. So like, I didn't waste time and yeah. that's a privilege because I know a lot of people, they're still trying to figure it out and that's hard in itself. You know, you don't know what you want to do. So you go about life and you basically waste time and resources. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I, I never had that opportunity and I, I, I feel like I had to work extra hard to get where I'm at today compared to the average, you know, white privileged resourced person. Yeah. (laughs) I've done a couple episodes now with uh, some women who are first generations. And so they talk a lot about like the pressure of first generation. And sometimes parents are like, there's only a couple options in terms of what we will approve you doing with your life, going to uh, medical school, going to law school, whatever, you know, what brings the money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, but at the end of the day, if it's something that you're passionate about, then fantastic. And, and like you did it. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that just goes to show like that they're the privilege versus the non-privilege. Now imagine a woman that is, that comes into this country as an immigrant, doesn't have the resources, even even somebody, you know, a white American woman that doesn't yeah. have the resources. It, it just yeah. goes both ways. Now imagine trying to be forced to have a child and support them. And you don't, you don't have the resources yourself. So what are you supposed to do in that situation? So now two lives are ruined. Exactly. Yeah. Like now you don't have it. So now you can't provide that for your child. The child grows up, is probably traumatized, doesn't have the, the, the resources they need to succeed in this life. It's just a cycle. Totally. And, and also again, like it's not only you and the kid whose lives are affected, it's the family. It's the parents of that, that person who had that child, if they're still in the picture, right. It's, it's maybe that the guy, maybe he sticks around and he's involved, but like things are way harder you know? And so other people in his family suffer from it. Like we just, we zone in on just that woman 
exactly exactly people don't think about the domino effect that it causes to yeah. it's just a I want to say it's like a control thing. I've heard oh, these yeah. theories where it's like, oh, why do you, you know, why do you think they want to have, they want to keep so many people, not keep, but have so many people, have so many babies um, be born because they know that it's a cycle and they want to keep the middle class in the middle class type of thing. Hmm. Like, oh, they want to, they want to disempower people like financially and exactly. economically. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's just one of the theories that I've heard. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's not too far fetched. It's just like, I, I, I try to rationalize people and I try to kind of think about the other point of view. I'm like, okay, why would right. they want to do this? Why would it be in their benefit? Because unlike them, I try to understand their point of view. No, that's amazing. That's why really great. Okay. This is, this is a, viable option I don't know maybe you do really value life but if you did value life then you would value the woman's life first because that's who is currently here you, you know <laughs> it's just crazy to me like but women don't matter women don't in matter. religion women don't matter in government women do not matter <laughs> is it crazy to think that we are in 2022 and we're still talking about this and that that's why like the first week after this happened I was just like what do you mean <laughs> like what no Where, what year are we in this is a joke that was just a silly meme it wasn't real <laughs> you know like oh no this is real but have you ever seen The Handmaid's Tale oh yeah oh, oh my yeah God. it's just crazy to me how it's just very eerily similar I'm like, where will it end? Like, where's my red flag to go somewhere else? Because I don't want to be somewhere that I feel trapped. (laughs) If you are, if you are looking, okay. If you have a pregnant woman and now you have, there's two, I guess, entities here, two souls, maybe that we're talking about the Mm -hmm. unborn child and the mother. But if you do not value the mother over the unborn child, the mother just becomes a vessel. Yeah. And that's what, that's what I feel like they consider us as. Yeah. Cause that's handmaid's tale. Like that's, that is the direction when women become a vessel, that's the direction we're going in where women are going to continuously lose value. And like, where does it, where will it end? You know, if you don't have autonomy over like the one thing that, how can you say, I don't own this? Yeah. You know, like the one thing that there's no argument that you actually have control over. If you're going to then argue that control, like everything else is already lost. Yeah. And, and to the people that argue about like, oh, well, you're killing babies. They're not babies yet. Like they're not. So what's your stance on that? Because I know that there, there is a spectrum in which people believe for this. So what's your stance? Like you are seeing a lot of premature babies right? Yeah. Yeah. So I always, I'm not like coming from a pediatric population. I value the life of a human child, a baby to say the least. And baby is considered, it it is a spectrum. Like I've seen a baby born at 22 weeks gestation, like 22. That's the, that's the uh, 50%. Yeah. Yeah. That's the lowest number that I've seen being born and able to stay alive by our measures, not on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I'm sure there are more younger term that have been able to survive. I don't know what I haven't seen it, but I'm sure there is. So I believe that a baby is considered viable at 26 weeks. Okay. So 26 weeks. Like viable, like they can live outside the womb with no assistance. 26. Okay. Yeah. And let me see. Um, hold on. So that's like six months. Six times four is 24. So yeah, yeah it's like six it's, months. Yeah. yeah. So okay. 26 weeks. Let me see. It's like you're able to inhale and exhale. Mm-hmm amniotic fluid like how big are you at 26 weeks I mean I know that varies but like this I want to say like the size of like a a melon oh so pretty big yeah okay yeah um like a you know like a small melon but you're able to breathe yourself so your lungs are functioning your lungs functioning so and that's I think that's one of the um what's the word um hallmark okay hallmark things is like if you can't breathe on your own outside of the womb you can't survive so what do you think about the heartbeat then okay so the texas bill is like six weeks because of the heartbeat is that what it is it bans abortion at six after six weeks because of the heartbeat which that's why it's called like a heartbeat bill I wanted to just check this as well to make sure that we were giving you guys the right information. So I found this article on ACLU Texas. So it's aclutx.org. It was posted on July 11th, 2022. And it says, in Texas, a pair of laws will manage to ban abortion at all stages of pregnancy without exceptions for rape or incest and with narrow exemptions for the life and health of pregnant people. Senate Bill 8, in parentheses SB 8, signed by Governor Greg Abbott, which took effect on September 1st, 2021. This law outlaws abortion around six weeks of gestation which is a month and a half of being pregnant even in cases of rape and incest holy cow i can barely even get through this sb8 is currently in effect so uh a month and a half of being pregnant some people don't even know they're pregnant within a month and a half like some people just don't know it happens i've talked uh, to other people about it and i think we cover it in the rest of the podcast house bill 1280 hb 1280 for short a so-called trigger ban which creates harsh criminal penalties for providers and doctors for performing or aiding abortions at all stages of pregnancy without exception for rape or incest and with narrow exemptions for the life and health of pregnant people. So if a doctor tries to save the, the mother's life and has to sacrifice the baby in her stomach, yep, harsh criminal penalties. <laughs> HB 1280 will go into effect 30 days after issuance of the judgment in Dobbs. This trigger has not been pulled under Supreme Court rules. The 30-day countdown will begin approximately 25 days after announcement of the opinion. Our website will be updated when the judgment is issued. This just absolutely blows my mind. I can't even say it, without exception for rape or incest, and with narrow exemptions for the life and health of pregnant people. 
I can't, I, I'm speechless. Let's get back to the show because I don't, I can't even speak about this. So at six weeks, it's not a heart per se. It is a heartbeat because it is electrical activity. Huh. Before we're a fully formed fetus embryo in the womb, okay. we are cells, first of all. Like we, we're like a circle of cells yeah. that reproduce and grow and then form into like a human shape. Yeah. It's really fucking crazy. Important. Yeah. I think yeah. like you look it up, like um, search up gestational development okay. in the womb. I mean, I remember when I was pregnant, I had that app that it would show you like every week. It would yes. show you like, now your baby is the size of an avocado seed. Yes, yes. Exactly. So that and was nuts. And they are weeks. so creepy looking in the beginning. Oh my God. I wish I had pictures of like when I was born because even then <laughs> I was 26 weeks. And yeah. even then I looked like a freaking alien. My daughter looked like an alien when she was born. <laughs> and you had her at 40. Yeah, no, no, no. She didn't stop looking weird until she was like three months old. Poor oh. thing. Poor thing. But now she's beautiful. So like, I just, I just was like, I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> she's weird looking. She's weird looking. But she's beautiful now. So we basically look like a little curved ball attached to the placenta. It's uh-huh. really, really freaky looking. We don't even have a head yet. Um, we have, it's a, it's a heart per se, but it's not a fully formed heart. It doesn't have the four chambers. It doesn't have, you know, the blood running. Through. Okay. So, so then it's like, if somebody's going to be like, okay, well then, okay. If there's a heartbeat, then that's considered a human and you're killing it. But then also the heart itself has a spectrum. Exactly. Right? Yes. Because we're, we're, we're just developing as the weeks go by. So it's not a fully formed heart. Actually, um, Going on a tangent, I working in the cardiac ICU, as I've seen, I've worked in the cardiac ICU. I've seen babies being born with a, like no, like no right side of their heart. Like they're, they only have one side of their heart. It's called um, hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Jesus. We basically have, they have to go into surgery and we make their heart work based on what they currently have. It's just, it's insane. Whoa. Insane. And to say that at six weeks, you're, you're, you're alive and you're considering murder, you're committing murder. If you are having an abortion after six weeks is crazy to me. It's, yeah. it's crazy. So at six weeks, it's a, it's taking the shape of a heart that has electrical activity through it. Yeah. That is forming the heartbeat. Hmm. It's not a heart fully formed and a human fully yeah. formed. So the that whole bill is it, I I feel like it's just about control. You are controlling the woman to have a to, to keep this pregnancy, not have the choice, and subject her to a life that she did not want, possibly. Like uh, it's just I I I don't understand it. I really don't. Six weeks is crazy. Because I, I understand, okay at a certain point in a pregnancy, yes, you should, you should limit it to when mm-hmm. you can actually kill a child, but what are you considering a viable child? Yeah. And at six weeks, it's really not. In six weeks, like some women don't even know they're pregnant. Oh yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That also brings me to the whole, like how as women we're not taught to count, you know, the, our, our fertile period, our, our yeah. menstrual cycle. 
Um, I feel like they should do a better job at maybe in school. If you really want to, if you really want women to keep track of their pregnancy and know that they have to have an abortion before six weeks, you should be teaching women to track their cycle, to know when they're, when they're actually pregnant, when they can get pregnant, first of all. Yeah. I didn't learn that until way later on. Yeah. So I didn't I, learn that until I was pregnant. <laughs> and, how, and how old were you when you got pregnant, if you don't mind? 25. Well, that, which was early, which is early for a lot of people. Yes. Right? yes but if I, I was 30, then I probably would have learned it at 30. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like there are women that go their whole life without knowing how to count their cycle. Yeah. And it varies per women. Like, you know, the, the average cycle that you can learn to count, it varies on you being normal, like having a normal, uh-huh. cycle, for example, women that have PCOS don't have a normal cycle. Women that have endometriosis don't have a normal cycle. And don't get me started on the, you know, you know, I'm really big on the whole diet and ingredients and things like that. Don't get me started on when you're not, you know, fueling your body with the necessary ingredients. But everything messes with your cycle, like exercising more than you did last week will mess with your cycle, you know, like going on a trip, (laughs) being extra stressed out, all of these things will mess with your cycle. And so it's like, I don't know, all of these decisions are made in such a black and white fashion that they actually don't apply in any way to reality. Like just, you know, I I've seen those shows on TV where women don't know they're pregnant until they're actually giving birth to the child. Right. And I, I didn't know if those were real, but then just talking about this the last couple of weeks, I've met people, they themselves, it didn't happen to, but they know somebody that did not know they were pregnant. And I still don't know how, but it's also, you know, we're not taught to track our cycle. We're also not taught to pay attention to our body. Exactly. Like, like, okay. For when you were pregnant, like what? I knew immediately. Okay. I don't know. Or I was trying, I was trying. So I was like, I guess, hyper aware of little changes that were happening, but, but I did feel it. I, I think maybe I felt it in my chest. I felt it in, um, and maybe my stomach, like it just felt like stuff was moving around more than normal. Yeah. Yeah. Or like more, more like bubbles going on in there. I, you know, like, I don't remember exactly, but I, I did feel, but again, you know, it's like the, um, planning on it. So you were, you were more in tune. There are some people that are planning to get pregnant and that's fine. You like, you shouldn't have to have to plan a pregnancy to be able to keep track of it, to be able to keep you know, be in tune with your body and, and know, oh, something feels off. Let me go take a pregnancy test. Some women just want to have sex and that's okay. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Some women just want to, and you know, the argument is like, oh, well, some women are super promiscuous and they want to have all the sex and not. Oh yeah. But it's control. There you go. There's another reason for it's good. Women shouldn't be promiscuous. Women shouldn't enjoy sex. Women shouldn't be sexual beings. Like, like we can't enjoy sex, but a man can. Yeah. With no repercussions, even if he gets somebody pregnant, no repercussions. Right. You know, some, and, and some, um, some men, you know, I'm sure you've heard of this too. Some men, if a woman says, Oh, put a condom on, they're like, no, what the hell? I'm not going to put a condom on. And then not to say, because it it goes both ways. I know women that, you know, don't, aren't practicing safe sex and don't know what that is, but there are some men also that kind of convince the women or manipulate the women to not use a condom. Um, I I know there are tons of women that are, you know, out here not having safe sex and end up pregnant 
and are, you know, I want to say irresponsible, but what does that matter to you? Like, why does it affect you? Mm-hmm. What they're doing with their life. And that, and that is my underlying reason. Like, okay, a woman is out here being promiscuous, but it's not your business, it's not your business, what she does, yeah. just like how you are allowed to do whatever you want to do. And again, who pays for those foster parents? Like who pays for all of the kids that are in the system? You do. Yeah, you do. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so like, if you are a conservative person, wouldn't you think that you don't want to pay more you want taxes? Less people in the system, but if exactly. taxes and our population is growing so much, just like globally, societies evolve. They tend to have fewer children. That's just how it goes. Very true. Well, yeah. you know, even if, even now, more since more women entered the workforce since, you know, the Industrial Revolution, there has been a drastic decrease in the amount of births. Yeah. Because women are becoming more evolved. Um, society is becoming more evolved and women feel like they want to advance in their career and put off from having kids. And that should be allowed. That should be, I don't know why it's ever been a problem. You know? Yeah. There's just so many things that we can talk about and like so many factors that go into this whole abortion thing. Like, Do you think that the ultimate, where it really stems from is religion? Are they the ones, the only ones who are pushing this or are they just like the strongest faction that's pushing this or is it conservatives don't get me started on the whole religion thing like i i I grew up religious um you know my family's catholic and i went through my whole communion and i got baptized and all that but you know once i became educated after going to college and i feel like this is what usually happens you start to realize that religion is about control totally and that's where I, I kind of want to go into. It's about control more than it is about religion. Yeah. Um, I think people use, I, I think the religious use religion as a means of control. Um, yes. Yes. So for me too, when I think about like, why the heck would you want just society as a whole, the global population, why would you want people to be having so many kids that doesn't benefit everybody? Like, Ultimately, there is a scarcity of resources. If there's more people to feed, it's going to hurt the environment more. There's going to be less available in the growth. Things are going to go up in price. You know, it's, it's not good for anybody. So that doesn't make sense to me. But then I was watching this documentary. I think it was on Netflix about Mormonism, Mm. extreme Mormonism. And there was this one group who they just, yeah, they were just like pumping out kids because they wanted to grow their sphere of influence. Like they wanted to grow, you know, they need more people in their community who are making money because the guys at the top need more money to spend, right? Like they need, they want to get more control just in the global society. And so they need to grow their little group so that their group can have more power and more money. And so I think when you look at it that way, and then you start to zoom out and you see all of these other groups who have the same kind of intention, then it makes sense. Oh, I want to grow the people who believe in what I believe so that I can have more power. So it's interesting that you say that because with um, in, in this country, for example, if you want to grow your influence, why wouldn't you just want to keep it between, you know, your circle? Yeah. 
which okay whatever and 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 with the same circle you have the same view so then it shouldn't be a problem right but then you want to grow the entire population because it's limiting everybody it's not limiting you know just certain people mm. want to grow the entire population which brings me back to what i was saying like okay the people that don't have access to abortion are the ones that don't have money are the ones that don't have enough resources supports knowledge to know what their options are okay so who are these people they are the lower and middle class yeah the ones that are it's it's the majority of the population because you know the, the whole um 10 is just a small amount so if you want to keep this population of um reproducing and growing that i would say it's about control for them because yeah. they secured their future their money their because wealth. we're the ones suffering we're the ones in the working class working for them making them richer oh god it's so fucked that, up that is what i feel is going on and it's 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 sad to say but and i've always said this america is not a country america is a corporation hmm. have you ever like thought of it that way or yeah i mean when trump was in office yeah that's when I realized it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I was like, wow, like why are there laws in place to benefit businesses and not the people? Mm-hmm. Why are there laws in place to have tax write-offs for businesses and you know, to a certain extent, I think that there are good th- I- I'm a capitalist because I'm a business, I'm a business owner. I'm an entrepreneur. So like I, I'm a capitalist and I believe in a lot of those principles and I am grateful and excited by a lot of those principles because it's business to me is fun. Right. And I want to have the freedom to be able to pursue all of these things. Of course. Um, And the only way to seek freedom in this country, unfortunately, is to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. All the rich, all the rich people are entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And I love that you said that. <laughs> um, but, and when I think about any country, ultimately it needs to make money. Yeah. Right. Because it needs to have money to take care of its constituents, constituents. I can't say words. I, feel like <laughs> I sound like I've been drinking. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, so like to a certain extent, I do believe that every country should be run to like a business. I also think that it helps you make logical decisions. Um, not from, because you can't make everybody happy at the end of the day, no matter what you do, you can, your, your intention can be that, but ultimately it's not going to be possible. Um, especially when there's such a divide in education and awareness. Right. So yes, I, I agree with you. Like, I think that there needs to be, and that's the hard part. Where is that middle line? Where is that balance of empathy and compassion and humanness versus, you know, success Yeah, and, and making money because we, we run on money. The whole I, world. I, I appreciate that you bring up your point of like, you know, being a capitalist and having, and also agreeing with me, like, okay, I need, I, I also feel like there is a balance. Like there has to be Sometimes I, I just feel like this country has, it, it has more, it places more importance on the capitalistic society yeah. instead of the humanist. I, I would feel like totally. I just want some more of the humanist. That's it. Because power, <laughs> power breeds 
I like not isolation, but power breeds, I feel like an ignorance of what the less powerful are dealing with. Mm-hmm. It, it makes you disassociated with oh, okay. other people. It makes you less empathetic, you know, because now you're surrounded by all of this convenience and, and you kind of lose sight to like what else is going on out there. You lose the bigger picture. Right. And that's why actually some, some of the best people that have power, you see them going out and, and going through the poor neighborhoods and talking to people and asking their experiences. And that's why that's powerful because it brings you back to the ground. Exactly. You know, but, but they lose that they forget and they just want more, 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 which I think is partly human nature, but then it becomes your responsibility as somebody in power, who's somebody, uh, somebody who is a leader, it becomes your responsibility to remind yourself, hello. Oh yeah. This is why I came here. This is why I wanted to get to this point so that I could go back and do all these other things. We forget. We that, swallowed that up in a perfect society. Like, you know, somebody wants to become rich so they can give back to the society. But I don't know if that's always the case. Yeah. It's not, it can't be always the case. We're going on a tangent here. I mean, <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're really trying to figure out why conservatives and religious are, are, you know, trying to put these abortion laws in place. And, and this is, this is the tangent that it creates, you know? Well, you're right. You're right. Control. <laughs> Control. Absolutely. Absolutely. Control by fearful people in and of itself. Say it again. Religion is control. It's control. Yeah. Because like, I I mean, are you religious at all? No, I'm, I'm would say that I'm spiritual. I like thinking that the universe is helping me and conspiring for my greater good. I would consider myself spiritual too. Like I am very big on energy and same. You know how I said in the beginning, just being kind. I feel like I think being kind should be a religion in and of itself. Yeah. If you well, what's interesting that, too is like everything can be a religion. You know, yeah. we we think that no, Christianity is a religion, you know, um uh being a Muslim, you're religious, but like every yoga is a religion. Yeah. You know, like we've there's all these lifestyle, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. That, exactly. I feel like that's what religion is, is how do you live your life? What rules do you set up for yourself that gives structure to your life? So yeah. if you want to describe anything as a way of living, that is a religion. Yeah. Yeah. So when It's like t- a belief system. Exactly. Yeah. Now, when you tell me, I'm sorry, I don't know. I, I didn't read the Bible as a child. I wish we yeah. had maybe a religious person on like to join the conversation yeah. Is there a verse for something in the Bible that says that there you- is, there is one that said, well, I don't know if this is exactly what you're asking, but there was one that says like, you will save those, um, who are like being persecuted or something. And they are then saying, Oh, the, the babies Baby. are the ones being persecuted. But again, they are completely invalidating the mother. Yeah. I feel, I feel like women are being persecuted right now. <laughs> like what? Like the whole, um, it was on the news. Like, Oh, like if, if a woman comes into a, a Planned Parenthood or any, or anything, a hospital, anything for healthcare, wanting an abortion, like they have to report her and the doctor cannot give her an abortion or they will go to jail. Like anything, 
anybody assisting in that will go to jail. That's, that's what's going Texas in, or that's in Texas. And it's funny because a lot of people are moving to Texas just because it's, you know, so cheap over there, like compared to here. Or what about all the people that have just moved there? And now they're like, fuck. <laughs> we might justify, okay, you know what? Fine. I can't get an abortion. Fine. But I've still got plan B oh and I've God. still got uh, birth control. It's okay. Because I saw this TikTok the other day about it about the birth control thing um this girl tried to refill her birth control and um she went to go pick it up she got a text from walgreens or cvs saying her prescription was ready um and then she went to go pick it up and then somebody at the counter the one of the pharmacy texts at the counter she said in the video oh i have a cross like she had a cross on her neck uh, you know like a double cross or something like that and then she was like, oh, um, you, we can't, I can't give this to you right now. You have to call your provider. And she was like, what do you mean? I got a text saying it was ready. Like my, I have, like, it's ready. And she's like, oh, you don't have refills. You need to call your doctor. And she was like, oh, that's strange because I'm pretty sure my doctor put a certain amount of refills and I haven't reached that limit yet. So she ended up calling the doctor and the doctor said, I don't know why they didn't dispense it to you because you have X amount of refills. So she went like the next day or something like that, or maybe like a few days past. Mind you, you know, birth control is something that you have to take every day. At least the pill that she was on, you have to take it every day or it screws up everything. Yeah. Um, She went like a few days later and then there was somebody else at the counter. And then she said, "Um, oh yeah, it's definitely ready. I don't know why they didn't fill it for you. She could probably sue. I don't know. I feel like I would want to sue. Comments like- and, and the, the pharmacy tech that she got the second time was like, oh, if you don't mind me asking, like, who helped you? And she yeah. said the lady and she's like, oh, yeah, we've been having a lot of problems with her lately. And I was like, she's just a, a was, religious freak. Yeah. Yeah. But that is you are limiting somebody access to their what she does with her body is of no consequence to you. Even even before we go to that. You are not a doctor. You cannot yeah. limit medication to somebody <gasps> or a pharmacy tech. Yeah, sue. Sue. sue for that. And I think in the comments, they said, like, you can definitely sue. Like, you need to you need to bring this up to the CVS. Like, you need to tell them what's going on because she cannot stay working there. And she how is- many other people did she do that to? I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it's crazy. But you see, like, how these things come to light. And let's say this woman wasn't educated enough to know what to, what to do or to know what even happens when you don't take birth control every day and she's still having sex now that is something that affected her without her even being promiscuous yeah like there are just factors in place that are not in our benefit anymore like they're really trying to make us get pregnant and not give us options to do what to, to figure out the pregnancy after the fact. Yeah. I was reading a book and it was just talking about why have women historically just not had as much power. Mm-hmm. And it's because of children. It's because like, even in, you know, villages when things were very equal, mm-hmm. um, women had, you know, women have to stay home with the children. Women are breastfeeding, like women have to be the caretakers And then what happened is that men just, you know, women are home. So then the men had to go out and do the things that had to be done out of the house. Mm -hmm. So the men ended up being in the towns, you know, talking with each other, formulating these laws, formulating these rules about how society should be run, creating the government. 
You know, like who wrote the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence? A bunch of dudes sitting in a room because (laughs) the women were home feeding the kids, you know, and and it was just like, yes, this is it's sort of how things evolved. And maybe there wasn't something um, I want to use a better word than just bad. Maybe there wasn't something like negative about it, but it has evolved into something negative. It has evolved into now, like we understand that it is possible to have choice and we are actively choosing to limit those choices. Back then we didn't know any better. Like people didn't know any better. And And back then women were having multiple children because they didn't have access to everything that we have access to now. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, the constitution should be updated to fit the terms of this, of today, but the constitution needs to be completely revised. Yes. It needs to blatantly include people of color and women. Same thing with the declaration right now. It's like very vague. It doesn't say anything about women. It doesn't say anything about like, if it does say something about people of color, it was based on slavery. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, we just like have to sort of like put this in here, but like, we're going to put this other thing that kind of makes that not let out or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it needs, both of them need to be completely revised. I think. I mean, some people will argue, well, no, that is the foundation of our country. You can't edit that. And I'm like, the foundation of our country was written by a very small group of human beings Uh, the foundation of our country were it was also founded by slaves so Mm -hmm. like you still want to refer to that then what does that say about you first of all (laughs) but um i also wanted to bring up the the argument about planning a planned pregnancy everything you know is is fine the woman gets pregnant she wants this pregnancy now, what happens when that pregnancy goes south? Oh, I just heard a story on a podcast about a woman who exactly that. She got pregnant. Her and her husband were super happy about it. Very excited. The child ended up being extremely sick in the womb. And they like did procedures to try to fix whatever was wrong with the baby. And it didn't like it couldn't fix it. And so he would have just been born. Um, I don't know what the correct words are, but like just he wouldn't be able to take care of himself. He would be in a wheelchair. Oh, he cerebral palsy. I don't know if that's what it was, but it sounded like something like that. Like he would just be completely dependent for his okay. entire life. Yeah, pretty much. And the parents were like, at the end of the day, why? Like, is he going to enjoy his life? No. Are we going to enjoy our life? No. Exactly. And I think I, I'm not entirely too sure, but I think the Texas ban, like it bans all abortions, not even the medically needed ones. So like, what do you do in that situation? Yes. Okay. If if I was a pro-lifer, I would say, well, no, I don't want to kill the baby. But then what happens when the baby is a vegetable, for example, or the mother's life is in danger? What do you do in that situation? Because if you are a pro-lifer, and this ba- and the doctors are telling you that this baby is not going to have a quality of life. This baby, even if it is born, is not going to be alive. But the mother itself is in has danger. to go through. Oh, oh yeah. In and they force her to go through the entire thing. Are you really saving a life at the end of the day? Like what happens in that situation? I know that it's not because the whole argument about, oh, you know, 
Roe v. Wade didn't ban abortion. It just gave the choice to the states. Like it right. gave the power back to the states. Okay. Most of the states do not want our best interests. So at the end of the day, yes, you are limiting abortion. Literally, like I saw um, a post that was this, this picture of a woman's belly with a bruise on her belly because she was bleeding out. And she's, it was right before the Roe v. Wade overturn. It was like on a, on a Thursday. And then the Roe v. Wade overturn was on a Friday. And it, was, it all happened like in, within hours. And then she was in the hospital when it happened. And they couldn't, like once it was in place, the trigger ban took effect, like the trigger law took yeah. effect. And they said, oh, we cannot do anything right now because of the trigger law. We have to get lawyers involved. Meanwhile, this like this girl was bleeding out. She's dying. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that's scary. That's scary. Like you, you, her life is in danger. The baby's probably not even alive anymore. If it was even a baby, I don't know how far along she was. But like, you're really going to let this this woman bleed out. And you have to call a lawyer. Like. It, it was just crazy to me. So her she has no. She has no rights. She has no right. right. She doesn't even have right to life. Right. In this case. And there's, I feel like there were so, there's so many of those cases. Like, wow. Like, and then somebody from Texas, like one of the judges from Texas, like overturned that, like the trigger law. Okay. And they sued Biden for it. Like Texas sued Biden over that like because biden said like we're not gonna allow any trigger laws to take effect okay and then texas went ahead and sued biden for that so it's like what the hell what's going on here why are they why are they so angry why you know what i've i've always felt and i don't know if this is just like based on my own experience or if this is like something that other people feel i feel like society in the United States does not like women. And as I say that, I'm like, well, it's fucking obvious, isn't it? <laughs> but like when I'm in Italy, for example, mm-hmm. I feel like men, whether there's machista-ness, you know, whether there's machoism, fine. But I feel that men treat women differently. I feel that men honor women in a lot of these European countries. Yeah. I feel like they admire women. I feel like they... Not that they think women are better than them necessarily, but just that they they can see the value that women have and the value that they contribute, and they they um, acknowledge that, you know, and they're comfortable doing like that. women are appreciated. Women are appreciated in the United States. I feel like there is this kind of deep seated underlying like hate towards women. Hey guys, I just wanted to interrupt real quick to let you know about the Audacious Founder Business Coaching. If you're an entrepreneur looking to build your business bigger and make more of an impact on this world, I am offering you a free 45-minute Audacity session. I've been running my own companies for over 10 years and have hit every obstacle there could possibly be, including my city shutting down because of a global pandemic. I know what it feels like to be overwhelmed in your business, to not know which direction to go, and to feel stuck. 
My coaching is going to help you clarify your vision because over time, our visions tend to get a little foggy. Next, it's going to audacify your goals because most of us are not thinking large enough. And third, this coaching is going to help you reach these new audacious goals faster and more efficiently. This is how audacity coaching works, vision, goals, and strategy. So if you're ready to get motivated and excited about your business again, go ahead and send me an email at hello at audaciousfounder.com. Give me a brief description about what you feel has been holding you back and tell me all of the amazing things you want to achieve. I cannot wait to read these emails. And don't forget to include code podcast to make sure you get your free 45 minute session. Let's get back to the show. Like they just, men do not want women to succeed. Men do not want women to uh, gain power. Men do not want women to just have a say. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I feel that. And these kinds of decisions just emphasize that. I know it's not every man. Mm-hmm. Because I know people are probably going to get mad when they hear me say this. I know it's not every man. I know there are men out there who are just like, you live your life, girl. You do what you want to do. And, and it's thank really you. comforting to see some men actually on our side. It is. <laughs> men think that because women want more power, because women uh, are feminist, that it means that we hate men and we want women, uh, we want to like walk all over men and we want to hurt men. It's yeah, not fucking it's not true because the man has been at this level his whole life. The women has been at this level. So really a, what I consider a feminist is equality. Yeah. It's not to be on top. It's not to, to, to subdue your power. It is yeah. just equality. Exactly. And that is an attack on, on men. But it's the same thing if we're thinking about the upper class and the, the lower class, right? Mm-hmm. The upper class does not want the lower class to come up because then they think that it's taking away from their resources, right? So it's the same thing. Like men do not want women to come up and gain more power because then it's taking away from their power, right? And I don't know that logic, but (laughs) like as a society, why do we put so much emphasis on power and influence? Like why can't it just be that women and men have equal rights? And we both look out for each other and everybody. Like we care about the. It seems so far-fetched, but it's like, really, that, that is really what we're asking for. Yeah. (laughs) Why can't you want me to have the best life I can have? And like, I want you to have the best life, you know, like, I'm not trying to be like, listen, you know, you gotta, um, I don't know. What what could an equivalent law be on men's bodies that would be the same? Okay. Like you, you can only masturbate once a month and you need to, you need to take a photograph. No, there has to be like a special container for that semen. I mean, that needs to be submitted to the state. Imagine if men could get pregnant, what the laws would be like right now. Oh, they could do whatever the hell they wanted. Exactly. Okay. So one of the real, like one of the main things that I wanted to talk about, and I know at this point, it's like, we're, we've been on here a long, a long time. So thank you for your time. But one of the main things that I wanted to talk about is like, 
I feel like when a lot of people who are pro-choice, I've said this already, they're thinking, oh, the people who are getting abortions are these irresponsible people that are just going around fucking without consequence. And like, they just go in and they get a new abortion every week and they don't care. No, like nine times out of 10, it's somebody who is very sick or their child inside their body is very sick, or they're somebody who is maybe addicted to drugs or, you know, and so that's one of the things that I have no experience or perspective on. And I think that you have a unique perspective because you are seeing the consequence of some of these people who are in very bad situations and having their having these children because they don't have resources. And now those resources that they might've had that they didn't know about are lessened on. Yeah. Are gone. So it's like, what are you seeing? Like the patients that are coming into your ICU, who are the mothers? Like, do you ever see a baby and you're like, and this is a horrible, I feel like this is a horrible thing to say, but do you ever see a baby come to the ICU and you're like, poor creature should have just been aborted. Yeah. Yeah. So I am privileged to not be in, you know, one of a, like a public hospital that sees a lot of that. Okay. I want to say maybe like 40%, 30 to 40% of the population in the ICU, in the NICU to be specific, you can clearly see from the moment they are born are also drug addicts. Like from the, the mom is a drug addict. Why? Because they're actively seizing when they're born they cannot control their temperature like like let's say they're fully they're fully termed not even like preterm like let's say they're fully termed they're actively seizing why because their brain didn't develop correctly because of the drugs they can't control their body temperature their glucose level like the sugar level in the blood is low like critically low so they're actively burning more calories than they are intaking like all of these are factors that affect their health and their outcome in the long run and a lot of these parents i've even seen some parents like the, the cops are there with them because some of them are criminals um if they even get to the hospital that's another that's another story like some of these babies are transferred over to us because we're not, we don't have a, like a labor and delivery section. Mm-hmm. We're, we're strictly children. Um, so some of these babies are transferred over to us and the parents never show up. Why? Because they, the mom gives birth and they don't want the child and they leave. That's it. Like, that's not my child. The babies are there by themselves for months because they have to be in the ICU setting until we can get them healthy enough mm-hmm. to get adopted if they even get adopted, or even if they end up in the system, the ones that do end up coming to the hospital, like the parents, you can see like they just, they, I, I've had this patient before where like the baby and um, came in on a cooling protocol. And that means that we have to basically shut them down to a point because if not, they would actively be seizing so much that they cannot survive. We have to, we have to cool them down to a temperature where they're like in hibernation to cool their brain activity down Holy crap! in order to stabilize them and give them the anti-seizure medication so that when we rewarm them, so we get them to a viable temperature, they're, they're okay. Because that's the only way that we can prevent it from happening. And some of these babies are preemies. Some of them are. Yeah. And some of them aren't. What, you know? what does that kind of seizing do to the brain? 
So imagine in a preemie where you're not even fully developed on top of that. So your brain isn't fully developed, but then you have this drug that is causing your brain to go haywire. So imagine how these children, if they even survive, they're not functioning. Like their, their brain activity is not fully there because of the circumstances that they were brought into this world from. The parents, for example, like I had this patient once that was on the cooling protocols I was seeing. The parents were there, thankfully. They were present, but you can tell that they were drug addicts. And why do I say that? It's not even by the way they look, by the way they act, but because they left every few minutes outside and came back reeking of weed. You know, there's nothing that we can tell them. Yeah. You can't tell them that they, you know, as long as they're not smoking in the hospital grounds, we don't have a say into what they do. And then that's the main thing is like, I'm not going to judge. I'm not judging, but your baby is fighting for their life. I feel like that's a place where maybe we should judge. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like we're handing over this little tiny thing that can't even, you know, its brain can't even develop properly because everything that you're doing. But I'm saying as a nurse, like I can't tell. Yeah, I know, I know. You know, but yeah, I mean, your baby is literally fighting for their life because of what you are currently doing. Like you would think that you would, you know, make a change, Mm -hmm. but no. And then what type of quality of life do you give them once, you know, after all the work that we put in and you take them home? I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that. So then that's a perfect case where, oh, well, yeah, you know that you, you saved a life, but then look, look what happens. You destroyed a life. At the same time. Yeah. And you also are (laughs) this little tiny thing is already stunted developmentally, mentally, you know? And so you're putting them out into the world with horrible circumstances all the way around. Because let's say, let's say that these babies that you're saving, you had some sort of program for them to succeed in life. But no, like there's not, there hasn't been a change in the foster system or how these kids are brought up, like the curriculum in schools that they're being taught, like all of this goes into effect. So if you really want to save a life, save a life from the beginning to the end, because that's what matters. It's not just saving the life. And I feel like a lot of people don't think about that. Do you think working in the hospital where you're working now, doing what you're doing now has changed your view on abortion at all? Well, I've always been pro-choice. Okay. I do know, you know, some nurses that are pro-life and I've seen, you know, on social media, what their arguments are like, Oh, you know, how could you kill a baby? But it's like all of, all of what we just argued about. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure like there's been cases where a nurse as a nurse, like you have these views and then you see everything that goes on and it definitely changes your perspective. Like if anything, it's just solidified my perspective that, you know, we, we, we really can't put such a limit on something like abortion. Like you don't know anything that's going on in a person's life in a woman's life. Right. Like, who are you to limit what, what is going on to, to them? You know? Yep. And, and coming from a, a baby's perspective, like how could you subject a baby to God knows what? Like, yes, it could be a beautiful life that you're saving, mm-hmm. but you don't know. 
like there is no way to know how this baby is going to grow up yeah so if you're really pro-life you would take that into consideration it's also i don't know how to articulate this but it's also like if somebody has the power to either end or save a life Mm -hmm. it's the same it's the same control right so it's like if you tell a mother that she doesn't have the power to end the life that is in her body that like her being able to end that life is the same control as a government saying like you cannot and i don't know if this makes sense do you know what i mean like it's like the government is basically contradicting itself. It's like, mm, I see what you mean. Oh, we can't, you know, it's, we can't kill. We can't end a life. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're making that determination over me, over my life, over the life of this child. Right. And then at the same time, telling the woman that she can't make that same determination. It's, yeah, it's hypocritical. Exactly. Yeah. Like, why? I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it, it makes perfect sense. Like, yeah you're deciding to not end the life. But if I decide to end the life, it's frowned upon. Yeah. But like, yeah. But you like, for example, like, I mean, this soft tangent, this is a tangent, but like, you're also deciding to like, um, people on death row, for example. Yeah. Like, why is that a thing then? And mm-hmm. I know, you know, some criminals have done the absolute worst, yeah. But if you really are arguing about saving a life, why does a death row exist? It's just, it's the religious contradiction as well, right? Like, okay, we're going to save the baby and condemn the woman. It's, yeah. And I, I think I told you this the day that we had met. I've had another patient. This goes back to the whole like quality of life thing. I had a patient that was, she was born with trisomy 18. It was a miracle that she was even born, for example, because when a fetus, an embryo, is not genetically capable with life it is more likely for the body to abort it itself i see yeah and that that's called a spontaneous abortion when the body aborts it so even and so that's really interesting so that's something different than a miscarriage no it is a miscarriage okay okay yeah medically speaking it's a spontaneous abortion In, in regular term it is a miscarriage so when um, when a pregnancy is not viable and the body determines that it's not viable. So the, the mother's body. The mother. Okay. It miscarries. Huh. So if you're telling me Ugh, the body so get an abortion because of a, a baby's heartbeat in me, but if my body determines that it's not a good pregnancy, it can abort it. Like, where is the logic in that? Yeah. You know, but that's besides the point. So I had a, a patient that was born with trisomy 18. Usually these babies miscarry. The body miscarries it. It aborts it itself, right? Because the body is smart enough to know this pregnancy is not a good pregnancy. We don't want it. Yeah. Do you think that most, this probably is the biggest generalization. Do you think that most miscarriages are that? Are the body saying this is not viable or- no you can't really say a blanket statement like that because oftentimes maybe it has to do with the woman's body. It's, it's sometimes it's a combination of the genetic makeup of the child. It's just not compatible with life. Other times it's a woman's body. You know, sometimes the uterus cannot hold the child. Some women are born with faulty uteruses to say the least. Um, 
some lifestyle factors if you're a drinker if you're a smoker things like this um and also just just sometimes like it could be a healthy baby it could be perfectly healthy you could be perfectly healthy and just it just happens okay but yeah okay um so yeah the patient tries to me 18 quality you know since the moment she was born had to be intubated so um tube down the throat breathing for you all these means to keep her alive all these means to keep her basically comfortable because she was suffering so much she was in the hospital for I want to say six months, we were able to basically keep her alive through our means for six months. And the reason why it, it, it was so long was because the mom was so adamant about saving her life, which I understand that is your child. Like, you know, even the fact that she's a, she was born is a miracle and that is something to, you know, look up to, but yeah the quality of life just was like, we were in day in and day out with that baby. And you could just see in her face, whenever you would go in that room and you would have to suction her because her mucus was drowning her. She was suffocating. Like she was even, she wasn't even able to eat. We had to feed her through her veins. Oh yeah. Like and her little tiny, tiny little baby veins. Yeah. So imagine trying to fit a, a, a catheter in, in that thing. Oh. Um, it, it's just, it, it was just crazy, like how long she was there for suffering. And you could see in her face, oh my God, you know, these babies can't cry because when you have a tube down your throat, it's, you know, it, it paralyzes your vocal cords. So you can't, you don't hear them cry. You just see their face, like, you know, when you're crying, but you like, yeah. like, it's just so it was so sad like I still see her face and every time I would see her I would be like oh my god I feel just so bad even like touching her because I know everything I'm doing is torture torturing her like even changing her diapers she would be freaking miserable oh my god so yeah like just day in and day out for six months the mom was super adamant and then finally you know she saw that things weren't getting better she would things weren't getting better. They weren't getting worse, but they weren't getting better. And the doctors and, you know, the, the medical team was day in and day out trying to convince the mom that this, this wasn't going to be a good outcome. Yeah. You're doing everything possible. And the day came that she finally came to terms with that. Mind you, you know, she was upset at us for a long time. We, she thought that we were trying to kill her child and it wasn't like that at all. Like she even saw that the baby wasn't, you know, in pain, but the day finally came that we convinced her to, it's called an A-N-D, accept natural death. And that meant that we were basically going to stop what we were doing and see what the outcome was. It wasn't even that we were saying we were going to kill her or, you know, end her life. It was just seeing if her body could sustain life. Yeah. After, without the medical intervention that yeah. we received. Um, and we stopped everything, you know, palliative care had to get involved and all that. And we stopped all the measures and she passed five minutes later because everything that we were doing was what was keeping her alive. It wasn't even her own doing, you know? Yeah. So in, in, in instances like that, it's like, yeah, save a life but look at what it's doing. 
Torture. And it wasn't even saving a life because we were keeping her alive. That's so sad. I can't even imagine. I don't know how you and like the other nurses even (laughs) can. I would be like hysterically crying every day, all day long. I get that every day. I'm like, like people ask me like, how do you do it? And I'm like, I I don't want to say that I'm desensitized to it, but I knew what I was signing up for. Yeah. You know? And when you get there, it's just like you put on your game face and you just got to get shit done. Like exactly. And and yeah. don't get me wrong. There's definitely nurses that aren't emp- empathetic and, you know, they're not the best. And I'm sure people have had really bad experiences before, but mm-hmm. it makes all the difference to have your passion in it. Thank you so much, Leslie. <laughs> of course. It was my pleasure. I, I feel like more conversations like this should be had. And I, I would love for people to just understand our perspective, just like we understand theirs, because we, you know, we brought up some good points today about all the arguments that I've ever heard and yeah. how I would, you know, contradict them or my opinion towards them. But yeah, and all that I would have to say is at the end of the day, like how I started this conversation and how I'm ending it is just be kind to people be kind and try to understand others points of view and don't try to influence your opinion on someone's life. I think doing exactly what you just said is audacious, you know, being able to have your opinion and allow other people to have theirs and to feel non-threatened by other people living their lives in a way that you wouldn't live yours. I think that's audacious. I think that's confidence. People who are insecure, people who are fearful, mm-hmm. they're the ones trying to control everybody else. Mm-hmm. I, I like how you said, like, um, at the beginning of the podcast, like, it, it takes an enlightened person to be able to do that. And, um, and until you said that, I really didn't, like, take that into consideration. Like, you, you really have to be a certain specific person to not only understand others' point of view, but not try to influence it on others. The other day I was talking to a Hasidic Jewish man who I work with. And exactly like your face explains it all where you would imagine, you can only imagine like what their stance is. And, um, but he happens to be like a more open-minded what? Um, and he's more, he also like, kind of likes to have this kind of discourse where we can have, um, opinions that are conflicting, but he can hear mine. I can hear his. And then we can kind of like, okay, well, I agree with this part of what you're saying, but like my opinion on that is different and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's really, you know, I, and I actually had a conversation with another man the other day. Um, he wasn't, as far as I know, he wasn't religious, but he, I think he might be like pretty conservative. And so we were talking about, and I think that he's, I actually have only, um, talked to him. I haven't seen him even on zoom or anything. So I don't, I think that he's white. Okay. But so we were talking about like systemic racism and we were talking about this abortion policy and I mean, okay. Two white people talking about systemic racism (laughs) is like two monkeys. Right. But like, Ultimately, we had a lot of disagreeing opinions and I really love these kind of conversations. I really love conversation. I mean, you and I agree on most everything, but but I think even that, you know, like I had a meetup group the other day where I wanted us to talk about power and money 
and it's all women. And I noticed how easily it is, how easily we just go off onto something that's slightly easier to talk about, slightly more gentle conversation. You know, we talk more about our purpose and our, you know, fulfillment as opposed to no, like we need to be able to have control over our own life. (laughs) You know, like that's what we need to talk about. And it's hard. And that's why they're called hard conversations. Exactly. It makes people uncomfortable. And, and, and I'm a, I'm a subject to that, you know, like I'm, (laughs) I'm that friend that always is always, I'm just very strong, strongly opinionated. So I'm that friend that I don't shy away from these conversations, but I know that. But that's also because you can handle these dissenting opinions and not get offended necessarily. I mean, you might get heated on occasion. I imagine you do, but, but it's like, that's why you can sit in the discomfort of these kind of conversations. Some people can't because they're, I guess, maybe overly sensitive or they take things to be an affront to themselves. So they can't hear your opinion. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm definitely like, whenever we're talking about women's rights, I always do get heated and it does hurt. It does hurt to like talk to somebody that doesn't agree with what I'm saying, just because I try to be as just neutral as possible with the situation. But Sometimes it's like, well, how could you just not think about women as equals? Like when I talk to my father or like a family member about these, kind, I I don't anymore, but whenever I do, that's when I get fucking heated because I'm like, literally what you're saying is me. Like you, what you're saying, you're talking about me Yeah, and you're wanting or not wanting whatever this is for me. So like so I then don't I get passed, away yeah. from these debates, but I know who and who to not debate with at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. I love talking to you. I hope we can do this again. Oh my God. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I don't know. Do you want people to find you on Instagram? Yeah. Okay. So go ahead and share what your Instagram is. So underscore L-E-S-L-I-Y-E-H. Cool. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share with people who are listening? my, my way of life is just be kind and just always remember that. Like, it's not that difficult. (laughs) Just whenever you're faced in a situation where of uncertainty, just be kind and that will prevail. I, that's what I will. That's what I envision life to be. That's a great philosophy. Be audacious. Yes. (laughs) Be kind and audacious. Be audaciously kind. Oh, I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Leslie, I hope you have uh, the best day off ever. You and too. Thank you well, again for your day off, but I hope you have a great day. <laughs> Bye. Talk to you soon. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I know it was a heavy one. Uh, If this has triggered you in any way or if it's just brought up more questions for you, please send me an email. Let me know how it's hitting you. Um, And then by all means, go on Google and do your own research on all these things because I know it's it's a lot. It's heavy. Um, There's also so many kind of subconscious things that, you know, are programming that this might trigger or it just might 
cause us to question our subconscious programming, which is a good thing, which is kind of what I want at the end of the day. I want us to always be questioning those beliefs that we hold adamantly true and seeing if that is the best way to be going about life. Um, if you haven't done so already, please follow me on Instagram at Audacious Founder. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast, please do so. Please like this episode, give me a good review, and share it with as many people as you can. So thank you again for being a listener and stay audacious. Audacious.